Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. This past week, have you said this or thought this? I don't have the energy for this. I don't have the bandwidth. You know what bandwidth is, right? It's, it's the strength of the internet signal. And when you get a bunch of people in the same house who are all using the internet with all their various devices, it just runs slower because you don't have the bandwidth. And as everything changes in your life and in our world on a daily basis, your energy level and your bandwidth is way down. I mean, some of you are used to being around people all the time, and now you are alone, and that is using up your bandwidth. Whereas others of you are used to having a little bit of space, and you are crammed in a house with people 24-7, and that is taxing your energy level. Uh, Others of you are used to having a little bit more time to yourself, and, and now you don't, and you are not getting the space to recharge. Our energy levels are down. Our bandwidth is being used. It doesn't feel like we have the time or the resources or the energy that we need. And yet in this moment, we are still the church of Jesus. We're still called to reach up in worship to him and reach out into our neighborhood. We're called to love him and love our neighbor. And if we're honest, though, it doesn't quite feel like we have the bandwidth for that. But as we follow him, He gives us assurance that he's got us. He gives us assurance that he's got us and he will sustain us and he will use us even when it feels like we don't have the bandwidth for it. Today we end the book of John. We come to John chapter 21. And John chapter 21 is interesting. Uh, It feels like John should have ended the book of John with chapter 20. I mean, he had this great ending at the end of chapter 20 where he said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Trumpets blare, cymbals sound, a great ending for the book. But there's one more chapter. There's there's one more chapter. John has been honest with us throughout that what he's really going after is our belief. He wants to show us in Jesus in a way that brings us to this point of belief. Uh, But in doing it, John knows the nuances of the human heart. He knows the longings that we all have. He, He knows the spiritual hunger that's inside of us. He knows that we have to see Jesus from many different perspectives in order not just to ascend to belief, but actually come to the point of deep conviction where we do believe. And maybe that's why John 21 is here. Maybe that's why he added one more chapter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We honor you. And we praise you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. And the fact that, Lord, some have passed, but you've kept us here, Father. We're asking you for those that are in the hospital dealing with the Rona, some uh, issues that people may be having financially, Father. We ask you to help and supply in those needs, Father. And also to bless those that are listening and just continue to give them hope. And Father, that, uh, that they know, Father, that you are the controller, you are the healer, you are the one that controls everything that's happening right now. 
with everything in the world, Father. You have the final say-so. We thank you for these things, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's son, and two of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We are coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish lying in it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that the disciple who would not die, yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die, but if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? 
This is the disciple who testifies to these things, who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which, if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. The word of the Lord. John 21 starts off by telling us, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Jesus has already appeared to his disciples. And this third time he's doing it, John says he does it in this specific way, near the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Seven of the disciples were there together uh, at the Sea of Galilee, which was not in Jerusalem. They evidently had left Jerusalem and gone to to the Sea of Galilee. And while they're there, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they say, we're coming with you. And they get in the boat and they go fishing all night. And by the next morning, they have caught zero fish. Well, there's someone on the shoreline that they see. They don't recognize who it is. And the person yells to them, children, have you caught any fish? And they say no. And this figure on on the beach says, well, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat? And when you do that, you will catch fish. So they cast the net on the right side of the boat. And lo and behold, their nets immediately fill up with fish. And there's so many fish that they struggle to bring it into the boat. They're not able to. Well, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus who wrote this book, recognizes that's not just anybody on the shore. That's the Lord. And he tells that to Peter. And Peter, who seems to be shirtless, just dives into the ocean, swims towards the shore because he wants to see Jesus. Well, the other disciples slowly bring the boat in, dragging the net behind them. And when they all get on the beach, There is Jesus waiting for them. And he's created this charcoal fire with fish that he's cooking for them and bread as well. He tells them, bring the fish to me. And there's 153 fish. And some people have guesstimated what 153 is and what the significance is of that. And I think it's just there to tell us they had 153 fish. Because next it says that though they had so many fish, the nets did not tear. In other words, they should have torn with that many fish. Well, they they sit down with Jesus, and they have breakfast with him and eat fish and bread. And John ends that time in verse 14 by saying, Now, this was the, the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In other words, John wants us to see something about this specific appearance. Uh, Jesus had found the disciples when they literally had their hands on fishing nets. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus had found some of the disciples, and in his first appearance ever to them, he had gone to them and said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they spent three years with him, three years being discipled by him, all the way up to the point of the cross, where, they, where, the, where he was crucified on Golgotha and then put in the tomb. And then he rose from the dead and said, I am sending you just as the Father has sent me, but I am going away. And I'm sure in the midst of that, in the midst of knowing that he was going to send them, but he was going away, they needed assurance. They needed reassurance. And I think that's what this episode is about. Uh, Jesus shows up again. A third time he reveals himself as resurrected, as the resurrected Lord. He shows up again 
as the risen Lord Jesus. That had to be reassuring. (laughs) Is he really risen from the dead? Not just one time, but two times, but three times they see him. And when Jesus appears to them, he knows where they are. He he finds them at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, They didn't know where he was, but he knew where they were, and he found them and showed up. And what he did, he provided for them. He cooked fish for them, but not only that, he supernaturally provided 153 fish that they had spent all night trying to get and were not able to. But when Jesus said, cast your net on the right of the boat, he provided 153 fish for them. But not only that, in this episode, Jesus sustains them. We get the picture that the net should have broke with so many fish, but it didn't. It didn't. It was as if Jesus was sustaining their work, even as he had provided for them. And then when they come to shore, he says, bring some fish. Uh, Let's cook some of those fish. The the very fish that he provided for them, he asks from them. In other words, he's using their work, even though he was the one that did the work for them. And I I find that, that presence of Jesus in that moment to be assuring, not just for the disciples, but for us as the church. For we are called to be fishers of men. We are called to love our neighbors. We are called to show a lost world the love and beauty in the gospel. But it often feels like our nets are empty, right? We don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. We can't make this happen on our own. But yet, Jesus is risen from the dead, and that should be our first assurance. He is risen. I spent uh, a a little bit of time a few days ago looking for references to the risen Lord Jesus in the New Testament. In other words, I was looking for specifically where it says Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And what I found was there wasn't as many as I thought, and I was troubled by that at first until I realized that Jesus Christ is synonymous with resurrection. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the resurrection. And so anytime you see Paul or any of the authors write the Lord Jesus, what's included in that is that Jesus is risen from the dead. They don't feel the need to explain it because they think that you understand that he actually has defeated sin and death when he kicked open the door to that tomb. So be encouraged, first of all, that your Lord has defeated death. He has gone to the other side, and he has come out victorious. He is risen. But then also this, just as he knows, knew where the disciples were, he knows where you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. He knows exactly what resources you do or don't have. He is aware of your situation, and he will provide. As we follow him, as we seek the kingdom of God, as we share the love of Jesus, he will provide just as he provided for the disciples. And he will sustain us. As we move forward as a, as a local congregation, it will feel at times like we are coming to the end of ourselves, but he will sustain us and he will use us. So my first question to you is, how much bandwidth are you using worrying about all these things? Worrying if Jesus sees you, worrying if he will provide for you, worrying if he will sustain you, worrying if he will use you. Could it be that some of your bandwidth is being used up in anxiety over those things rather than resting in the risen Lord Jesus about those things? 
We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Well, for us, maybe to simplify it, just like the disciples did what Jesus said when they lowered their nets on the right side of the boat, maybe that's good instruction for us as a church, just to do what Jesus says. Uh, We are in the process of starting this food box ministry where Brunette and the Mercy team is coming around and collecting food from uh, each person's house to give to those in need. And Brunette and I were talking about that the other day, and we're like, you know what? It kind of feels insignificant. Just cans of food. Could, could God really use that? And the, and the honest answer is yes. God loves to use mustard seed-sized things to grow into bigger and bigger ministries. And so what should we do during this time? We do whatever Jesus tells us to. We, we share. We love. When John the Baptist shows up on the scene and calls people to repentance, they say, well, what do we do? And John says, now that the kingdom of God is present, if you have two shirts, share one. If you have food, share it with those in need. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, if you've been stealing, stop stealing when you come to the Lord and do work so you can share. James chapter 2 says, if anyone is lacking in food, don't send them away and say, be warm and well fed. If you really have faith, faith expresses itself and works, and that works is loving those in need. In 1 John 3, the author of this gospel, John writes, if you have the world's good goods and you don't share it, how can the love of God be in you? And so what we're really seeking to do is just simply do what Jesus commands us to do, uh, to care for those in need, to share God's love with a practical expression of, of giving food away to those who need it. So maybe this week you could call Runette and you could tell her that you have a few cans of food to spare. We can simply do what Jesus tells us to do, even in the midst of our stretched bandwidth, even in the midst of not knowing if we have enough resources or energy. Well, it's in that context that Jesus reveals himself to the disciples to reassure him, reassure them. But there is more going on. There's more going on. It's not just about reassurance. It's also about restoration, the restoration of Peter Jesus isn't just cooking brunch. In a sense, this is a setup. It's a setup of mercy for Peter. You see, John has told us that Jesus has started a charcoal fire. And there's only one other place in the book of John that a charcoal fire shows up. The word charcoal fire is used in chapter 18 on a cold night that Jesus was betrayed. And Peter found his way around a charcoal fire to keep warm. And it was around that charcoal fire that Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times. And I wonder if Peter sat down here in chapter 21 around this charcoal fire next to Jesus. I wonder if the warmth of the fire brought back the memory of that night of betrayal. I wonder if as the smell went into his nostrils, if he thought back and shame filled him. I wonder if the memories were overwhelming. Well, at that moment, after breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. Now, throughout the book of John, Peter has been called Peter or Simon Peter. It's not 
uh, since the first chapter that he has been called Simon, son of John. It's when Jesus found him the very first time. He knew his name. He said, Simon, son of John, you will be called Peter or Cephas or the rock. Except in this moment, he doesn't call him Cephas. He doesn't call him Peter. He doesn't refer to him as the rock. He goes back to that first name, Simon, son of John. In fact, Jesus addresses Peter three times, and each time calls him Simon, son of John. It is as if Jesus is stripping Peter of the name Cephas, the rock, to expose him, to get deeper than Peter would be willing to go on his own as he sat around that charcoal fire. Not just to get to Peter's actions, but to get to Peter's heart. Jesus asks Peter a really difficult question. He says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And there's been speculation around what these are. Some people think it might be that life of fishing that he had grown up in. Some, some think it might be, do you love me more than you love these other disciples? But I think what Peter is being, what's being asked of Peter is, do you love me more than these other disciples love me. And the reason Jesus is asking him that is because before the night of betrayal, before the night that, that Peter had uh, denied Jesus three times, he had made such bold statements that if everyone else falls away, I will not fall away. I will lay down my life for you. And he had not even been able to say, I know Jesus on that night. So here, Jesus is exposing the wound even more, saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This question is brutal that Jesus is asking him, but it is also merciful, as R. Kent Hughes points out. Well, well Peter says, yes, yes, Lord, I love you. And what a, what a hard question to answer because he knows that the evidence is stacked against him. I don't have anything to back it up. I love you, but my actions show that I have failed to love you. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get Peter to see. Jesus is bringing Peter face to face with his failure to be devoted to Jesus. See, Jesus is actually doing surgery on Peter's heart right here and right now. Scotty Smith says, gospel surgery is free, but it's not always easy. Grace produces redemptive pain, not punitive pain. But pain is still painful. Indeed, the gospel brings an end to all deadening worldly grief, but the gospel is the beginning of enlivening godly grief. The law condemns, the gospel convicts. The law creates self-centered tears, the gospel creates God-centered tears. You see, Peter is avoiding the depths of his failure, and Jesus is opening the wound so he can get to Peter's heart. Not because he's trying to punish Peter, because it, but because he wants Peter to see the reality of his failure, that Jesus might come in and heal him. And that is still painful, even though it's not based on punishment. Jesus says again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? The third time he says it, Peter is full of grief. The wound is open. His heart is exposed. He has failed. But it's at that moment, it's at that place that Jesus wants to bring him assurance. 
you and I are so prone to avoid facing our failures. We are spinsters when it comes to our failures. There's always a reason why we failed. It's always someone else's fault. If I had only known and they hadn't done this, I would have succeeded. I wouldn't have fallen so short. I wouldn't have sinned. I would have been faithful to the Lord. I wouldn't have made that bad decision. We believe our own fake news. We struggle to face our failures and we avoid them at all costs. But then when we do face our failures, we think our failures define us. We get stuck, burdened by our failures, thinking that our failures are our identity. And yet Jesus shows a totally different way. He presses in on Peter's failure and he presses in on our failures and that is painful but it is unto the goal of redemptive reassurance. Jesus isn't just interested in our actions. He's interested in our hearts. He's not just interested in our behavior. He's interested in our loves. And that can be painful at times. But it's interesting that the next thing Jesus does after each question is not a further accusation at Peter, but a commission for Peter. He doesn't say, do you love me? Can I trust you? Rather, he says, do you love me? I entrust to you. He doesn't say, prove yourself. Try harder. He says, feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. As he gets to that deep place of Peter's heart, and as he gets to what Peter loves, he is trying to produce a love in Peter to love the very things that Jesus loves, his followers, his flock, his disciples. And he's trying to, to work a love in Peter so that Peter will give himself fully to the work of growing the church and shepherding Jesus's sheep. Jesus is working love in Peter right after Peter's biggest failure to love because he wants to draw something more out of Peter, a love for Jesus that, that isn't just willed to expression, but something that grows, that Jesus works in him. And when Jesus works that in us, it is often a painful process. Uh, it, it's often a painful process of failing before Jesus and Jesus pressing into us and uncovering false identities in us exploring our heart and exposing our heart and at times wounding our heart in order to bring a deeper healing in our heart, to, to, to bring a love for Jesus that isn't made up but is genuine and true. And that can only come as the real Jesus encounters our real heart and our real failures. Well, I want to ask you again, how, how much of your bandwidth are you spending on making excuses for your actions? I have no doubt that under the stress of this time, you have done things that you never thought you would do. You have said things to people that you would never think that you would say. You have escaped in ways that you never thought you'd choose to escape. They have been completely unhealthy and unbecoming of being a follower of Jesus. But how much bandwidth are you spending on simply making excuses for all those things? How much energy are you expending on avoiding seeing who you really are? I would just encourage you, let Jesus show you who you really are because he will love you as you really are. 
and will change you. Let Jesus show you who you really are during this time. He will not discount you. He will not write you off. In fact, he will use you on a more profound level. See, the energy for serving Jesus is found out of a deep love for Jesus. And as we have that deep love for Jesus, it usually comes about in the midst of some of our greatest failures. And that's where we really find the energy, the bandwidth to serve him, to serve him afresh every day. See, our love for him grows. And as it grows, it finds its expression in serving others, in serving the people of Jesus, in serving the church, in serving those that Jesus has put around us. And that's exactly what he's trying to do with Peter. Peter, who failed to even say he knew Jesus, becomes the leader of Jesus' flock and eventually gives his life for Jesus. Peter has written one of the most profound passages on shepherding the sheep. And you wonder what conversation he had in mind as he did. In 1 Peter 5, he, he tells other leaders to shepherd God's flock and not do it because you have to, but do it because you want to. Doesn't that not ring with the language of the heart, with the language of the love that Jesus was pressing in on Peter? And then Peter says in that passage, and do it with an eye on the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd of sheep, Jesus Christ. Maybe right now you're around difficult people. You're for sure in a difficult situation. You're in a challenging season. Maybe you've got challenging work. How do you muster up the strength to serve? How do you find the bandwidth to continue on? Where do you find the energy? Well, one of the surprising things is that might be in your failures in those very places. You might actually find that Jesus meets you and loves you in the midst of your failures with difficult people in challenging situations in this challenging season. And as he meets you there, you might find that your love, instead of growing cold, warms up and your bandwidth expands and your energy to love difficult people and do challenging things grows. And that is exactly what Jesus is preparing Peter for. In verse 18 and 19, he says, listen, when you were younger, you went where you want and you did what you want, but when you get old, you will be led around against your will and you will be raised up and your arms will be stretched out. And Jesus is alluding to the fact that Peter would die by crucifixion, just like Jesus died. He would die by crucifixion for his testimony for the gospel and for Jesus Church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down. He did not want to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was, and so he asked to be crucified instead of right side up, upside down. But Jesus says that in his death, Peter would glorify God. And then he says to Peter, follow me. And there's a sense where he's saying, continue on this walk that we're on together, right here, right now at the Sea of Galilee, but the rest of your life, follow me. At that moment, Peter turns around and sees the beloved disciple, John, who wrote this book for us and says, well, what about him? You've told me about my destiny. You've told me about my path as I follow you. What about him? Peter gets caught up in the comparison game and the comparison game will kill you. It will kill you. It will suck your bandwidth. It will sap your energy. How much of your energy, how much of your bandwidth have you given 
to comparing what you're walking through right now to others? Uh, how much have you said, oh, Lord, why do they have it easy and I have it hard? Why do I have to walk through these challenges and they don't have to? The comparison game will kill you. Don't fall into it. And that's exactly what Jesus tells Peter in verse 22. He says, if I want John to remain until I come, in other words, if he's not going to die like you die, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. And just as Jesus might ask you today, do you love me? What he says to us is, as for you, whatever path I've chosen for you, whatever challenges you're walking through, follow me. And that restores our soul to know that our destiny is in his hands, that he has chosen a path for us as we follow him. And we're not outside of his will. We're not, we're not forgotten by him. He has a path for us, even if it includes challenges and suffering. Jesus has got you. Jesus will sustain you. Jesus will use you. And no matter what challenges you're going to face, no matter what sucks your bandwidth, no matter where your energy goes, know this, you're following someone who has risen from the dead. And just by doing that, you're on the right path as you follow him. There was a Muslim student in, in, a, in a college who became a Christian. And many people were like, why did you become a Christian? Why are you following Jesus? That sounds kind of crazy for you as a Muslim to do. And I heard this great story, and, and his response was why he was following Jesus. He said, it's simple, really. Imagine that you're walking down a road, and you come to a fork in the road, and there are two people there to follow as your guide, as your guide along the way. One of them is dead, and one of them is alive. Which one would you follow? Uh, be encouraged that Jesus has risen from the dead. And that if you're following him, even though there's challenges, you're headed in the right direction. And that's exactly what John wants to convince us with as we end this book. He says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Jesus has got you. He will sustain you. He will use you. Rest in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, thank you that you see us. You're with us. You will use us. You will provide for us. You will sustain us. And as you dig deeper in our, our hearts and uncover things that aren't always pleasant for us, we can trust you. We can trust that you're healing us. You're developing love in us that we might be of further service to you and your church. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.